Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as host Andy Hagens interviews asset managers, family offices, and industry thought leaders as they discuss the most effective strategies to grow generational wealth. From commodities to real estate, venture capital, private equity, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I am your host, Andy Hagens. And today we're talking about the night effect in the markets and how investors can potentially take advantage of that. And joining me today is Bruce Levine, who's CEO and founder of Nightshares. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. Glad to be here. Really interesting topic here, and, and I'm, I'm going to nerd out on it a little bit, I think. Um, this is part of our series on liquid alts and alternative ETFs. So we want to talk about these ETFs um, and, and obviously about the night effect. But before we dive into that, Bruce, could you give us a little bit of your personal background and, and how did you get started in the ETF industry? Yeah, I go uh, pretty far back. I was um, in a strategic planning group at Barclays Global back in 1998 when they were looking at getting into this ETF thing and which ultimately became the iShares business. So I was um, very deep in the soup early on. I ran product development. I was the CFO. And then in 2003, I went to Europe and I ran the iShares business as it was starting up there for three years. Uh, after that, I joined Wisdom Tree uh, as the president chief operating officer in 2006. And I spent about 15 years there um, in an operating in a board capacity. So, so wait, is there is there any well, ETF issuer that you haven't worked for? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> just, just just two of them before this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Go on. But, go but, on. But I will say there was a lot of products that came through those. Uh, yeah. Those- yeah. And iShares, I mean, they're one of the, the top two or three names uh, still to this day, right? With ETFs. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine some of the size of some of the things that we launched back then. But um, yeah, they're a behemoth for sure. Yeah, it, it, it it's strange to think back to those days because yeah. now ETFs they're all, they're just part of the the landscape. They're part of the everyday nuts and bolts of of investing. What what was it like like the first couple years when ETFs were novel? I mean, it's like hard for me to even imagine. But were, yeah. were RIAs were advisors like nervous about them for the first few years? There were a few. Um, there were a few. I remember we had a focus group of one guy and we told him that he could shorten the shares and it was okay. The fund would still grow in size. And he was utterly convinced we had a Ponzi scheme going. So that was one. Um, you know, but most of it was their business models were set up as commission-based business models. Mm-hmm. So they had a switch to be fee-based advisors and it, and the ETF thing really accelerated that switch. So it wasn't, yeah, I mentioned RAs. It wasn't so much that RAs were... Uh, uh, confused or not into ETFs, it was more that other types of advisors have sort of slowly made that shift to being f- fiduciaries. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of uh, mutual funds being used with trail commissions being paid, and there was yeah. you know, commissions on individual securities. And I think, you know, the ETF, you know, structure didn't fit so well into that. We couldn't, we couldn't, and didn't want to pay retrocessions. So. Uh, you know, we went after the fee-based guys and they ended up being the ones that did better with the clients and performed better. And so I think 
most advisors started shifting their model that way. So I think it was a win-win in the end for the advisor and the client and the ETF sponsor. Yeah. I mean, preaching to the choir uh, at AltsDB at the Alternative Investment Podcast, a big part of our audience is the you know, registered investment advisor, you know, advisors who are fiduciaries. And so I'm guessing a lot of our audience is familiar with the night effect, but I'm guessing a lot of our audience is not familiar. So let's talk about the night effect in the stock market and, and how it works. And I think it's important before we dive into any products that we talk about the underlying research, because although these ETFs are newer, uh, the night effect in the markets has been researched for, for yeah. decades. So where did all this start? That's why I got so excited about it. You know, uh, as I said, I launched a lot of products and I've seen a lot of things, but I've never seen this research. And so I was working with a group of researchers based in San Diego at a sister company of ours. And they found this signal organically. And uh, we looked at it over many time periods. We looked at it over um, many different ETF tickers. We looked at it around the world. And it had this great consistency and persistence to it. And what it was basically saying is that more of your return was coming at night and more of your volatility was coming during the day. And so when you thought about this as a risk-adjusted trade, you know, you wanted to be more into the night and the night was giving you higher sharp ratios. And, you know, so that's why I got excited. It wasn't until after seeing all that, that I went out and um, looked around a little bit and found about, quickly found 10 or 12 white papers that have been written over the last 25 years about this night effect. And so it goes pretty far back. Um, again, it's been done by professors around the world and they find this premium um, from night. From, and when I say night, it's buying at the close the day before, selling at the morning today. That's called the night session. And the day session is I buy at this morning's open and I sell at today's close. That's mm -hmm. the day. So um, I was fascinating, fascinated by it. Uh, I thought it would make a great uh, addition to the ETF landscape because you know the markets have been cut lots of different ways before, but never, never quite this way. And and you know when you read the research, you think, yeah, this is sort of like a, a factor almost or a risk premia, and it's never uh, had a, a product against it. And you know most do. So um, that's how we got here. Let's talk about the risk premia. You know, from a theoretical point of view, is it a risk premia because the markets are closed, so what I own is a little bit less liquid? Like, where, I guess conceptually, where where does that risk premia come from? Yeah, it's a really fascinating question, and and, and I will say that you know, there nobody has the exact answer here. Um, there's sort of three areas that are sort of given as the, the most likely reasons. One is an information flow reason. Mm -hmm. So the markets are closed is when information flows typically around earnings and around M&A. M&A is very positive for the markets. Earnings is unbalanced positive for the markets. So you have to be invested to catch that. So that's the first one. Second one is uh, there seem to be a lot of sort of call it institutional de-risking that takes place almost at a structural level. Um, you know, throughout, throughout, or by the end of the day, let's say. Um, many institutions don't want to go home with excess inventory and excess risk on their books. They sometimes just play during the day, like a market maker and an ETF, for example, um, but their business is not to hold long positions. So, so we see this sort of de-risking happening at night. And also, 
you know, if you hold overnight, you have interest charges, you have capital charges, your positions get marked, your leverage ratios get shown to the world. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe intraday you're 30 to one, and then they bring it back in the line at 10 to one mm-hmm. compliance requirement, that kind of thing. The final component is really an investor behavior component. And this one's probably the most fascinating. And uh, I talked to one of the professors who wrote one of the papers, and he said basically that markets react to macro news at night and during the day. And we've seen that um, repeatedly, right? Some when when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, the markets tumbled overnight. Uh, when we get you know, the Fed speaking in the middle of the day, they react during the day. So, um, but only the investor behavior component really happens during the day, and that's this idea of you know um, investors influencing each other, day traders, uh, algorithmic trading. You know all these things that can lead to volatility that's really not going on at night. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. So, yeah. What one other kind of background question, I I suppose. So you know, on the traditional side of my portfolio, I've always been you know mutual funds, index funds, exchange traded funds. I don't know that I've ever executed a, uh, that type of transaction at night. I'm, I'm sure I've you know signed a, a business contract or a private equity deal or something after the close of business. But thinking yeah. about traditional, so. How does an how would an individual investor yeah. be be trading at night? Like like uh, uh, practically speaking, are the transaction costs higher at night when you're buying and selling securities so, at night? So what we're actually doing is is we're not transacting during the night. It's a buy and hold overnight strategy. Essentially, we're buying in late in the day. You know, very close to four p.m. Eastern, and we're oh, next okay. morning nine thirty. So it's really um, we're not trying to we're not worried about thin markets or illiquidity markets. Um, in, in fact, in some cases, maybe that's what's causing some of the night effect, right? You, you don't have these players in there and the natural tendency of the markets maybe to go up. So you're actually then, then the, the buy order is before the markets close, the sell order is after they open. So those actually, yeah. you could play the night effect by not transacting after the markets are closed, by actually transacting when they're open with just a couple minute buffer. Yeah. Sort exactly. Of exactly. Okay. That's what we're doing in our funds. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, to to your knowledge, I guess I should say, are there any hedge funds or, you know, mm-hmm. private traders, private money? Are there? Is there anyone aside from your ETF? Was there? Was there anyone already doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it was interesting as I talked to people. There was sort of this. Yeah, I read something about this kind of feedback I got from not not from everybody, but from some, you know, real sort of uh sophisticated traders. Um, I have definitely heard of uh, at least a couple of hedge funds doing this. Uh I think I think the difference is, you know, we do the same systematic trade every single day. And I think, you know, hedge funds maybe tend to put it <laughs> put the trade on at certain times, but not others. Mm. You know, there's this great question about when does the night effect work best? And you know we're constantly trying to figure that out ourselves, uh, but you know it 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 uh, moves around a little bit, right? So we we like to say uh, it doesn't win all the time; it wins over time, and so you have to stay in the trade. Um, but it's not immediately apparent, you know, one day to the next what's going to happen. Are there uh, are there issues with transacting as soon as the market opens? 
I mean, from from what I understand, that can be a problematic time to do any sort of of trade. Is yeah, right now we're doing it um, in relatively small size, and and we're not finding any issues. We're using futures contracts, mm-hmm. um, you know, on essentially the S and P five hundred and the Russell two thousands, and are highly liquid. That was part of the product design. Um, I should mention the night effect works, you know, uh, works actually dramatically well on other parts of the market, but we weren't sure we could scale it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you an example, um, uh, cannabis stocks had uh, a strong night effect. Uh, I'm not sure about 2020, but when we looked at it in 2021, they had a very strong cannabis stocks, uh, uh, night effect in cannabis stocks. But, you know, we, we just didn't think we had the capacity to have a meaningful size fund. Got it. Okay. So, so now your, your company night shares, there are three different ETFs and I'd, yeah. I'd like to discuss each of these ETFs individually, at least briefly. Yeah. Um, it, it, so let's start with NSPY. So this is the night shares 500 ETF. And I have a quote here, uh, seeks to return the night performance of a portfolio of 500 large cap us companies. So this is an alternative strategy. Obviously, this is the alternative investment podcast. Yeah. So this is an alternative strategy, but large cap U.S. stocks, that's about as traditional of an asset class a- as you can get. Um, but but I'm wondering, you know, 500 large caps, are these the same thing as the S&P 500 or is this yeah. a slightly different index? Yeah, it is. I mean, and SPY, you could almost think of as the night spider, right? It's the night portion of SPY. Okay. So we're doing it by... The fund holds essentially uh, a collateral, <laughs> excuse me, a collateral pool of cash and treasuries. Um, we go out, you know, maybe six months on the treasuries or something like that, and then at night we buy the futures on the S and P five hundred, which is you know one of the most liquid markets in the world, and then we sell them the next morning. And so you have that overnight exposure to the S and P essentially. And so this is well. I, let me ask this night shares five hundred ETF. Would this be like the most liquid, the most scalable way to implement a strategy based on the night effect? That was our thinking. Yeah. That, you know, using a broad index um, with high liquidity, we are very conscious of trying to minimize those transaction costs you mentioned. Uh, And, you know, you can trade S&P futures quite inexpensively. And so that was a big part of uh, the implementation. You know, the the whole thing about the night effect that's been raised in many of these papers or it exists, but can you capture it? You know, so that's, you know, the, the engineering matters about how you try to capture it. Yeah. Not only I would be thinking, not only can you capture it, but then does the, does the cost of, of capturing it exceed the benefits? So, you know, as you mentioned, you, you can inexpensively trade, you know, you know, to, to engineer this product had an inexpensive cost structure where there, are there other, you know, and I know we're going to talk about the other two ETFs, but are there other markets where you might, you know, think about capturing the night effect, but where it's cost prohibitive right now um, due to structural reasons? Well, yeah, again, again, we've looked at like every ETF under the sun um, sort of night and day. Mm-hmm. And again, fascinating to watch it because um, some of them have very pronounced uh, daytime and nighttime effects. Uh, but we found a lot of them were, were tricky to trade. So we didn't get involved in anything that international securities um, yet. Um, or 
you know, as an example, we, we originally filed for the mid-caps, the Russell mid-caps, um, but we decided against launching it because we needed that liquid future to launch it. So um, with the Russell too, we have quite a liquid future. So, so it's definitely affected, you know, our product design and our, what we've brought to market. Understood. And so there's three ETFs in the U.S. market, U.S. exchanges. Yeah. Have you, have you thought about maybe in future years expanding internationally? Are, are there any other, are there any foreign markets? Are there any uh, foreign exchanges that are liquid enough to, to, to pull this well, off? Yeah. What, what's fascinating about the night effect is if you were, let's say, a German investor and you bought the DAX close and sold the DAX open, you have a similar history to what we see in the U.S., which is these improved sharp ratios, more of your return coming at night. Um, and Nikkei 225 investors sitting in Tokyo, but but it's sort of a local phenomenon that we see, the local market. So, which which is why we think it's quite structural that it exists around the world like this. Um, so yeah, you know, it would require launching local product in local markets. And have you thought about doing that? We have, firm? we have, yeah. We're just trying to you know advance the ball on our company a little bit more. Yep. No, I I get that as an entrepreneur, you know, one one thing at a time. Um, yeah. But but so when when you when you mention that it's local, but it's it's a global effect, it just just to kind of spell it out for me on a technical in yeah. a technical way, that means that it's not that there's one night worldwide where there's a night effect. It's that each individual market has a night effect based on its its local night. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, going back to sort of why does it happen, right? Um, you have these, you know, most markets are in this cycle, this once a day cycle where the funds get priced at the end of the day nav, um, the exchanges shut down, people, you know, mark their books. And that that seems to happen across the globe. Well, obviously, that, that happens across the globe. And that seems to be a big part of the night effect, you know, the, the various behaviors that, you know, come from that. So, um, yeah, again, that's why we we think it's you know quite a structural thing going on. Got it. Okay, so I'm curious in the research. You know, you mentioned that it it doesn't work all the time, but it it does work over time. Yeah. So is there are there any data points on like you know how how many nights a year outperform the day or you know I I, I guess yeah I'm trying to think about like I'm in a, a playing blackjack or something and you know if I win fifty two percent of the time i'm I'm doing great right like that, right, that right. that's awesome over time so you know it, could you is there any way you can quantify so, that for me yeah there is um I don't have the stats in my head right now but um yeah. is it is that that blackjack analogy is a good one right because it is something akin to that where we are winning sort of fifty i feel like it's fifty three fifty four percent of the time okay another way to think about it is um <laughs> The day session is um, sort of the problem child, let's, let's say. Mm-hmm. So S&P, for example, uh, buy and hold has like a 0.6 sharp ratio. And the night had maybe a 0.65 or 0.68. It was a little bit higher. But the day had a 0.24 sharp ratio. So very poorly rewarded session is the day. And so by avoiding it, that's you know how we do better. But... <clears throat> What actually happens in the day is you have uh, more tail events on both in both directions, right? You have more big up days and more big down days than the night. Um, so if you look at like sort of days uh, greater than a one percent return or a two percent return, or losses of the same, it's much more pronounced in the day. 
And what what happens is in the night we get a lot of singles. We we do well when the markets are you know up or down, hundred basis points or less. And then we'll do really well sometimes when the market sells off by comparison. And then we'll have days um, where we dramatically underperform because the market takes off. So, you know, it's um, yeah, that that's maybe the best color I could put around what it looks yep. like in terms of. And I should also say every year is different, right? I can't tell you the number of days it's going to happen any one year. Two examples of it being really different. Um, in the taper tantrum of December 18, the market was down like 22% in December, something like that. Mm-hmm. If you had only held the night, you were literally flat. It, it, wow. You can't even see it. Um, and, you know, so that was something going on, a dynamic during the day. On the flip that's, side, that's incredible. Sorry, it was it down twenty-two percent during the day, and it was totally flat at totally night. Totally flat during the night. Yeah. Now, COVID was another story. COVID, um, the markets were led down by the night, and if you remember the way the news flow was working back then, right? China would have some scare, then it would say, you know, Europe was hospitalizing people. And by the time it got to the U.S., everybody was freaked out. So pre-market, the markets were down a lot. And so we saw a big drawdown um, coming at night. Almost, almost all of the COVID drawdown was coming at night. Now, it, it did reverse in the second quarter to where night outperformed uh, second quarter of 2020. But anyway, just the point being, the market gets in these sort of moods every once in a while mm-hmm. um, about how where, where the returns are coming from. Yeah, the, the animal spirits can uh, can get in a mood. That's right. So yeah. one more technical question. So the night effect, it's not really just at night. It's really when the market's closed, right? So would, it, would the night effect be present on Saturday and Sunday? Would it be present on Christmas and, and just all, and basically any time that the market is closed? Yeah, exactly. That's right. Okay. You know, we're invested, you know, it, it's good to be invested when no one around you is trading in a way is, is one way to think about it, right? Because you're invested over these long holidays or weekends and um you're not being scared out of your positions by you know volatility induced day trading yeah it's it's almost like it's a little bit of a an illiquidity premium like i i know that it is possible to trade yeah. at night but for most investors just the practicalities you know they they're, they're going to do their buying and selling during yeah. the day for, for structural reasons and to some extent it's it's uh you know potentially an arbitrage of you know, against the de-risking that takes place institutionally, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're giving it back. And in our case, it's to a retail investor, potentially, or an advisor. So you know, that, that can feel kind of good. You know, yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So, okay, l- let's move forward. So I have two other ETFs up here. Um, yeah. Next, I want to talk about NIWM. So this is the NightShares 2000 ETF. And I quote, yeah seeks to return the night performance of a portfolio of 2000 small us companies so is the night effect is it potentially stronger with the small cap companies than with the the night 500 yeah we found an unbelievable thing in the research um which is that over 20 plus years the daytime return of the russell 2 is negative so more than 100 percent of the return was coming at night in the case of the s p by the way we found about two-thirds, maybe 75% of the return was coming at night. But in the case of the Russell, it was like, I don't know how to do the math because you have a negative, negative day. But 
you know, it was it, the, the numbers were something like nine uh, percent return over twenty years, with twelve percent coming at night and negative three during the day, something like that. Wow! So it's so very, very pronounced here. It's very pronounced. Yeah. Now, um, most factors and everything you look at seems to be more pronounced in small cap, right? But I know in my past world, uh, you know, Wisdom Tree, when we did sort of earnings and dividend weighted stuff, uh, we had the same impact uh, coming on the, on the small cap. So um, it seems to be an extension of that. Yeah. That, that's incredible. So how is the, uh, I guess, the market reception of the, of the small cap? Um, has there been a lot of excitement about that due to the, so the, I think, I think it definitely piques people when they read our research. Um, yeah. we just finished a look at 2022 and, um, turns out we got kind of unlucky on our timing of the launch. Um, so the night effect worked for the full year. It worked really well in H1 protecting your downside. It lost a lot less than buy and hold. Um, but if you remember that bear market rally, <laughs> it started around June 30th and went to August 15th, uh, where the market went up, I think it was about 13% in 45 days, which is very unusual. Most of that happened during the day. And so we kind of came out of the gate uh, a little bit behind. Mm -hmm. Since then, we've been making up you know, the, the, the gap. So um, I think that's you know just put a little damper on things. But um, I think people are now starting to see... Um, this has merit, uh, you know, because what we're offering people really is, is a tool that says, when you look at the history, you'd rather have more night than day. But you don't want to abandon the day, right? Um, you know, that's just not realistic for most advisors, right? right. So we just kind of let you tilt into the night. So, you know, if you're, if you start out, you know, sort of 50, 50 day night, as everyone is, you know, maybe you want to go 60 night, 40 day. That's what you can do using night charts. Okay. So, well, that, that now I got a couple more questions because, <laughs> okay. So this, this is all part of our, our series on liquid alts and alternative yeah. ETFs. And I've, I guess when I was reading about Nightshares ETF, you know, I kind of bucketed them into the alternatives bucket because it's an alternative strategy, right? It's still, yeah. it's still in sort of operating in this traditional equities, US equities yeah. universe, but it's an alternative strategy. So would you, you know, t taking off your ETF issuer hat and, and putting on your individual investor hat or, or sitting in the seat of an advisor, yeah. would you consider this to be like a tilt of like in a, in, a, in a 60, would this be a tilt in a 60, 40 portfolio, a tilt for the 60, or would this be more part of like a 50, 30, 20 portfolio where there's a 20% allocation to alternatives? Would this kind of fit more into the alternatives bucket? I mean, I guess how do most advisors think? Yeah, I guess is what yeah. I, really I, I I do think um, I, you know, I've heard both, right? I think people can think of it either way. I think the case for alts is night and day are highly uncorrelated with each other, mm -hmm. so that's important. Yeah, you, you know, just by breaking up the twenty-four hour session into two different sessions, you now have two different you know sort of return streams. Um. And, uh, you know, we haven't really talked about the volatility reduction, but that's a really important thing about this. And that sort of feels all like, um, in 2022, I just, I'm going to look at some numbers here. I think the volatility of the S and P 500 was, um, 
20% roughly, sorry, 20% and night was 13.3, right? So it's a big reduction in volatility and that tends to put it into the alts bucket as well. Um, when I, when I say, you know, we, we let an advisor tilt, I think, you know, the reality of their business is, you know, they, they have clients who want to keep up with the market. And so, um, I see it more as a tweak there, you know, to the 60, 40, where you, you know, just tweak it to be more night. Um, and, and we have one other product to talk about, and maybe I can segue into our third one. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, and, and, and I actually, let me tee it up with, yeah. um, cause I have notes from each, each webpage. So this, this last ETF that we're going to discuss, this ETF is NSPL. And yep. this one's definitely a little bit different from what yeah. I was reading. So quote, yeah. seeks to provide investment results before fees and expenses that correspond to 100%, 1X of the performance of a portfolio of 500 large cap US companies during the day and to 150%, 1.5X of the portfolio performance at night. So this is a little bit of a different strategy, yeah. still obviously leveraging the night effect. So where does this yeah. fit in from a... From a so, product standpoint, yeah, I'll get back to your your question about alts versus um, tilts. So, so the this one's interesting because you don't have to give up the day, but we lean into the night by having a fifty percent night exposure. We do that because um, it turns out you know you want to leverage up the highest sharp ratio part of your portfolio, right? And and even though we leverage the night 50%, the total volatility of the product is just a little bit higher than um, buy and hold. Okay. Well, yeah. so for example, it's because the night is a low volatile session. It's not injecting tremendous volatility in your portfolio to lever it up by 50%. And so this product, NSPL, we think of maybe that's the one that becomes really a re replacement for your SPY, right? Where you're just getting a kick. Um, but you're still invested during the day. Whereas NSPY is maybe more the alt in your in your way of thinking. Or, I, or you could own SPY and NSPY and you could dial as an advisor, as an RIA, I could yeah. dial those knobs myself and kind of wait yeah. towards the night effect however I wanted. But with this, with NSPL, it, it's one bundled product Yeah, that's sort of pre-packaged with that tilt. Exactly. So, so when we look at the numbers on these two, they kind of sandwich the SPY buy and hold. So hmm. the NSPY gets about 75% of the return with about 60% of the volatility historically, you know, the night effect, that's what it's done. The NSPL, when you leverage the night 50%, historically, you got about 300 basis points more than SPY. And your volatility went up from maybe 20 to 23, something like that. So you had a little more vol, but you got substantially more return. So that's so you have two ways to sort of think through um, an alternative to your large cap. Interesting. Okay. You know, my experience with new ETF launches, I mean, especially ones that are alternative ETFs that maybe have some more, I almost want to say exotic strategies or or not necessarily that exotic, but you know, some might be new to people, might be new to an yeah. advisor. They can take some time to amass assets, AUM to make them, you know, uh, economically viable. But one thing has kind of stuck out at me from our conversation so far, which is that this works over time. It doesn't work every time. And that a lot of people knew of this, but 
you know, no one had ever really seen it in practice in a practical yeah. standpoint. So do you think that, you know, is, is this, is this going to be an easier sell, so to speak, after it's been operating two, three years? Because I, I feel like then it's, it's no longer look at the academic research at some point you can just say, let's look at what these ETFs did. Let's look at how much yeah. volatility and, ret- and return they did. Is that, is that kind of part of the entrepreneurial, you know, vision, vision for these? Yeah. I mean, you, you absolutely right. Everyone, um, you know, likes to hear about new ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Not that many people want to take action on them, right? Until they have more proof. And so that, you know, that's, we're going to build the track record over time and give them a sense for it. Uh, so absolutely there, um, you know, but we think this is a very big addition to the ETF landscape in the sense of there's nothing that quite does it like this. And it's got multiple uses as we started talking about, whether it's, you know, a risk reduction, kind of volatility dampening effect on the portfolio, or um, uh, in the case of NSPL, you know, a, a return enhancement product. So there's lots of different ways to think about the night effect. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to sort of uh, you know, seeing how it goes over time as well. We, we're quants at heart and we trust the numbers and the numbers say this thing works over time. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit beautiful, like um, watching your baby grow up now that these are finally, uh, you know, in market. Yeah. And, and, and I guess back to the uh, blackjack analogy, time should be in your favor, right? The, the longer that yeah. these exist, the more of the track record will build up. Absolutely. So when you launched these new ETFs, did it take a lot of people by surprise? Because I, I was doing some research um, on your ETFs. And I came across this piece on Vetify. Obviously, Vetify is a huge name in the ETF space. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a quote I have from Laura Krigger, their editor in chief, that the title of this piece was Best New ETFs of 2022. And she's quoted as saying, There were some amazing under the radar launches, weren't there? The Nightshares ETFs are one of those fun families I genuinely didn't see coming. End quote. And, and that's a statement from one of the top, you know, thought leaders in the ETF space. So it sounds like your family of ETFs really took some folks by surprise. I think that's fair. You know, uh, again, I've been in the business a long time and never seen the research. And a lot of people who are very intelligent in this space also hadn't seen the research, even though some had. And so I think that was the reason for surprise. We certainly ourselves, um, you know, tried to keep it under wraps as long as we could. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's why. But now... Um, now people are, you know, getting more familiar with it and, and it's not such a surprise anymore. And now they're getting acclimated to it. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit of time to think about how do I work this anomaly into my portfolio, you know, and that's where the conversations have gone to now. Um, but it's nothing wrong with surprising people. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, thinking of an RIA or a fiduciary, it's, it's, there's a little bit of a, I don't want to say a paradox there because you want to be open to new products. You want to be open to innovations that can yeah. enhance, you want to be open to innovations that can enhance returns while decreasing risk, which is exactly, you know, the, the stated goal or the stated result, I should say, uh, of this. But at, at the same time, you know, you don't want to rush in to something new and unproven. So there's a little bit of a right. paradox there because obviously ETFs they they need to uh, you know amass some 
some AUM to, to be uh, viable. Is everyone yeah. buying into these ETFs? Are they all kind of buy and hold long-term investors? Are there, is there anybody day trading? Yeah. That's a great question. You know, I, <clears throat> they seem to be buy and hold investors who just like the idea. I think, you know, the day trading thing's interesting. I, I was, I, I'm a little surprised there's not more. Uh, there are certain days where, you know, for example, take Thursday coming up with the CPI print, right? Um, it's interesting to have a strategy that gets out in the morning, right? So, you know, um, if the market moves higher, um, you know, uh, you'll have the rest of your portfolio, rest of your portfolio working for you. But if it doesn't, you know, you'll be out on a chunk of it. So, um, I've been a little surprised there hasn't been more. I also thought, um, there'd be more people sort of pontificating about when it works and doesn't work than, than we've seen. So I'm, I'm hoping that more people sort of dig in and do their own sort of research and you know, give their opinion about when this thing works. Yeah, absolutely. Well, every day, every market close and, and market open, I guess it's just adding to the track record and adding to the amount of data yeah. that any third party can come in and, and, and look at. So absolutely. Um, zooming out, okay, beyond the night effect, obviously you've been involved in the ETF space yeah. uh, re really almost from the very beginning. And, and and in that broader world of liquid alts, um, what are the most powerful trends that you see playing out in that liquid alts world right now? Maybe even any predictions in in the alternative ETF mm. space in the next year or two. You want to go out on a limb and. and... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think for a long time, right? You've you've seen uh, a lot of innovation in the ETF space, and a lot of it has been trying to package up strategies that used to be in hedge funds. Um, various, you know, um, let's call them as asymmetric return kind of strategies. And so I think that'll continue. And by the way, with, with nightshares, you know, that I, I'd seen a lot of ideas um, about things, you know, I could start a business on and just didn't get excited about any of them until I saw this research. And I think it's a challenge, which is there's a lot of product out there, you know, and so you have to do things that are different. Um, but the biggest change with the alts is that the customers seem much more receptive to them. Mm. This past year, they finally did really well. Like after a lot of years, and things like managed futures is a good example. Um, you know, it had a lot of lean years and it performed really well. And I think so. I think there's definitely um, a lot of openness among the advisors for more strategies. And as a result, I'm sure you'll see more great. Do you see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the more boutique ETF issuers continuing to innovate, or do you think it takes, you know, a, a larger base yeah. of AUM and a, and a larger existing product family to really compete with with new ideas, with new ETFs? It's a great question. You know, I'll, I'll just give my own experience first, which is, you know, I feel like our idea is actually bigger than many of the ideas I've launched product on in the past, hmm. but the F market has changed to the point where, um, you know, where there's many more gatekeepers, there's many more people that just won't touch a product until it has, you know, X hundred million dollars and X year track record. So, so the landscape is more difficult. Um, but you know, the boutiques, I mean, there's still, there's definitely still a lot of innovation coming from the boutiques. And then you've also seen, you know, uh, just about every mutual fund company now has really decided, like, I have to be in this space, you know, and they're doing conversions now of mutual funds into ETFs. And so, um, that was uh that was Jim Atkinson and and uh that was they they did like the first mutual fund to ETF 
conversion. Conversion. I'm not, I don't remember exactly. I think that, yeah, I, th I think I'll, yeah. I'll check my notes. I think that was yeah. um, Jim Atkinson's fun. I only know that because I was an, his intern. I worked for him. It was my first okay. job in, in finance. So I think he yeah. kind of made history with that. That was, was that about a year ago or so with the first mutual fund to ETF conversion? I, I'm not sure the first one about that, but yeah. the floodgates have opened. You know, you saw yeah. in companies like Cap, Capital Group and um, I think who else, but some pretty big companies, DFA, you know, have done them now. Got it. Well, um, some big, big players. I mean, honestly, we thought it would happen earlier. You know, we, the, the mutual fund industry, you know, I think had a, took them a long time to get their act together that ETFs were going to stick, stick around for a while. Do you think, so, so you think, yeah. And I, I just pulled up this link. I have it on CityWire. Uh, the headline is, we we know now we can do it. Guinness Atkinson CEO bets on more ETF conversions. And it wasn't indeed Jim Atkinson. So you see more of those conversions potentially happening in the next few years? I think so. I think so. I don't see any reason not to. I mean, I, I've never compared the total mutual fund plus ETF fund count. Mm -hmm. But I'm, my guess is that there are not a lot of new mutual fund launches. There are many more ETF launches, so. So maybe net net, it's not going up, and it's just shifting. Yeah, no, that 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 makes sense. So, Bruce, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing, uh, you know, your insights on the ETF industry, liquid alts, as as well as the night effect. I mean, it's it's a really fascinating stuff. I think a lot of our viewers and listeners would be interested in digging in a little bit more. So, that being said, where can they go to learn more about your research and about the Nightshares ETFs? Yeah, and nightshares.com is the website. Uh, there's a lot of information there. We even put some of the white papers on there. Um, you know, there's a place on the website to contact us. We'd be more than happy to have a chat and, you know, encourage people to take a look and give us a, give us a try. Absolutely. And I'll be sure to link to these, these three tickers, uh, the white papers. I'll be sure to include all of those on our show notes page, which are always available at altsdb.com slash podcast. Bruce, thanks again for coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Amy. Take care. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The Alternative Investment Podcast is produced by the Alternative Investment Database online at altsdb.com. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.